Good morning, everyone. I'd like to go ahead and call us to order. Rana, can we have a little call? Trustee Avalada? Here. Trustee Peterson? Here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Yeah, uh, Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Bouquet? Not here yet. Trustee Shequin? Here. Trustee DeVries? Here. Trust Trustee Jensen? We do have a quorum. Thank you. Is there public comment? I do not have any public comment. Okay. And we'll get us started. We have uh, one item today, a discussion and report on threat and strike activity, uh, threat to public health and safety. Okay, um, uh, morning uh, trustees. Uh, I would say good, but uh, uh, <coughs> it's, it's not the best of uh, times, but uh, we want to uh, provide you with a status update on uh, the, um, the uh, proposed or the uh, announced um, uh, noticed uh, strikes. Um, uh, we have uh, for the morning asked our uh, three of our leaders for our different uh, business units, ambulatory, uh, acute, including uh, behavioral health and post-acute to provide you with some status of, of, of how things look from our perspective. And those um, statuses will uh, tell you um, uh, from their various um, uh, vantage points, what are the sort of risks that we are facing here uh, in terms of impact to uh, operations and uh, the safety and uh, well-being of the people we serve. Uh, they'll talk about some of the mitigation strategies that they have uh, put in place uh, and uh, uh, one other uh, piece, uh, service impacts, I should say, and then the mitigation strategies. And uh, we'll invite you to ask any, any questions uh, when they're done. Um, and then we'll also share then just a recap of uh, the labor actions for these two unions, SEIU and uh, CNA, and sort of what, what has gotten us here, just to recap that for you and have an opportunity to ask uh, questions or to make remarks at that point. So with that, I would like to ask, um, I don't know if we have an order here. Actually, uh, we do have a presentation. So, Mike, if you could share that. And I think there's an order that's on the presentation. Is that correct? Yes, there is. Do you have it? If not, I can share it. Yeah, why don't you go ahead, Yev, because I have the, I don't have the updated. Okay, give, so. me, give me just Thanks. a second. Sure. I have this Atari computer that I'm still using. Oh, oh, oh. No comment. <laughs> okay. All right. And there's a in the room who <laughs> got that reference. Give me just a second. Mike, uh, Taft is in the waiting room. Got it. Okay. Should we open it in just a second? All right. Let me share this. Okay. And let's see. In presentation mode. Okay. Uh, so I just uh, went through just a little background, and it uh, looks like uh, we're going to start here with post-acute, actually. So uh, I'll invite uh, Richard Espinoza to, to chime in and um, share this uh, update. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for letting us have an opportunity to share this. So some of the challenges that we're seeing in our post-acute environment is, as you know, we have high census um, in terms of the number of, of uh, patients that we have on our sites. 
And so some of the challenges that the strike presents is uh, the lack of available and qualified replacement staff that we would need in our sites for safe patient care. So the RNs, LVNs, CNAs, uh, respiratory therapists, particularly on our subacute units, um, and trying to find the volume of staff that we would need for our sites. Um, we would also see disruption of necessary ancillary and support services, such as lab, uh, potentially social work, uh, activities, things of that nature to help support the emotion, emotional and psychosocial needs of our residents. Another challenge would be uh, the COVID requirements for testing. And so California uh, CDPH has just recently come across and given new directives of uh, testing every employee every week as part of our mitigation process to keep our residents safe. And so we've been meeting that requirement. Um, and one of the issues is that if we do have a strike, we will be bringing in contracted staff, if we can find contracted staff enough, who may not have been tested before. We may not have the baseline information on this uh, group of folks coming in. And so we don't know what their status is. We don't know what their 14-day previous status is, where we have that information on our employees currently. So that is a potential exposure for our uh, vulnerable population, our SNFs. And part of that is understanding our mitigation plans, our red zones, our yellow zones, our green zones, proper PPEs between the zones, how we manage that. And so having staff come in that may not be familiar with that, that we would have to train to the specifics of that is, is a challenge. So part of some of the mitigation strategies we're looking at is uh, lowering our census and our acute rehab unit. We currently have 24 patients on that unit. We have 12 discharges between now and next Wednesday. And so we will halt and have halted admissions to this unit so that we can lower the census, um, reducing the, the need of staff that we would need on that unit. We've also identified opportunities to lay services, mostly in our outpatient rehab services. So our teams uh, will be notifying patients um, to, we will help them reschedule the appointments. Um, but we will be having to, to cancel the volume in those areas. And then as part of uh, finding uh, contracted staff for our units, we are moving um, to 12-hour shifts rather than eight-hour shifts. And so hoping that that would reduce the amount of staff that we would need um, and, and be able to bring in enough uh, to cover, um, reducing the amount that we would need uh, for coverage. Uh, also looking at uh, communicating with our patients and families to make sure that we can let them know um, what we're doing to turn in terms of uh, acquiring staff, uh, keeping their loved ones safe, um, and making sure that uh, where there are disruptions that we're notifying patients, residents, and families as well. So a heavy lift in the post-acute environment as um, we really can't discharge our SNF patients anywhere. Um, we do have emergency transfer agreements, but those are mostly with our own acute hospitals. And so since our acute hospitals will also be impacted, uh, it doesn't really give us that uh, option at this point. I'll stop there. We'll, we'll, we'll go through all, uh, all three of the uh, uh, presentations. And uh, if you have questions, uh, we'll have them here for you. So thank you, Richard. Uh, with that, I'll move to, uh, do we have uh, Palaf here? 
why don't we go ahead and skip over to Janet, and I'll uh, get a hold of Palau. She's in clinic this morning, so uh, okay. but she in when she can. Okay, thank you, Janet. All right, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, some of the challenges presented was really the lack of available and appropriately trained replacement staff, specifically at, at John George. Behavioral health uh, is not a group that typically does travel assignments uh, in large numbers as the rest of RNs do. Um, these are, uh, you know, volatile areas and patients and uh, to not have the correct staff in there is really a concern because you just can't put a med surge nurse in to manage behavioral health. So uh, that to me is the, the biggest uh, challenge and concern. Um, we'll be scaling back some services and eliminating other services. We're going to start uh, stopping elective surgeries at Alameda and San Leandro on Friday and then on Monday for Highland, uh, just so we don't have the risk that somebody needs to be admitted post-surgery and we won't have the ability to discharge. Um, and then there's uh, other concerns about potential disruption of trauma services or other, um, you know, highly sought after or specialized services within our hospitals uh, that we need to, to mitigate and, and work through that. Trauma impacts, uh, as you're aware, the ED, the OR, and the ICU just to process these patients through the continuum. So um, that's a concern. <laughs> Um, a lot of the mitigation strategies are very similar to what Richard outlined. Uh, we will try to secure as many qualified replacement staff as possible. We've put our orders in yesterday. Uh, I think we're upwards of 300 um, travelers just in the nursing sector. And so that's a, a pretty big lift at a last minute uh, ask. And um, so we'll work through that, but we're confident that we'll get a number. Again, the behavioral health is the, is the concern. Uh, we'll consider closing one or both of the community hospitals if we do not get enough uh, replacement um, staff for that. Uh, their numbers are rather low right now. Alameda is sitting at 29 and San Leandro is sitting at 26 inpatients. Um, so that would not be a huge lift. It would just be uh, obviously not ideal for the community, especially Alameda that has the only hospital on the island. Uh, we'll also consider low number of admissions or transfer patients to other facilities if we don't get the replacement staff um, that are required. Uh, protecting patients, um, I think what's worked in, in the past of, of many strikes that I worked is uh, frequent rounding on staff and patients during the work interruption, really just to keep uh, that, that forward face that, you know, we've got you, everything is okay, we've got uh, appropriate staff here, we've got well-qualified staff, uh, and really put those fears at ease for, for our patients. Uh, and then we'll ask for frequent chart reviews from the quality team or from people that we identify to make sure that things aren't being missed. We've got a large number of people that have never worked in our facility before, although they're qualified and they're, they're epic savvy. Um, we just want to make sure that if a blood transfusion is scheduled, that we don't miss it. If a key med is scheduled, that it doesn't get missed. So we'll be scouring the charts uh, very, very frequently to make sure that we stay on top of all the orders. So um, I'll be happy to take questions when we're ready for that. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. Um, do we have uh, Palav here uh, yet? If not, we'll we'll keep going and we can come back. If not, I can I can uh, Gassan Delvecchio. Uh, I can talk on yeah. her behalf. I said uh, that'd be great, Gassan. I'll I'll go back to ambulatory if you can just walk through this. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's uh, it's again uh, uh, most of the staff are SEIU are represented, uh, and and uh, we. Uh, we will not be able to provide in-person uh, visit, and uh, uh, we will. Uh, and the call center as well is is, is represented. So uh, we are going to visit to telehealth to maintain some patient access 
and then we'll schedule of all in-person activity, which will lead to some patient delay and likely increased ED visits outside of AHS. So we keep all the clinic uh, sites open with leadership staffing to enable walk-in and urgent care and uh, protecting the patients, patients messaging on phone lines and on my chart to notify of any potential delays and the access to clinical triage for primary care with diversion to the ED as necessary. So that's at the high level. We will continue with the telehealth and we'll try to divert to the ED. Okay. Thank you, Gassan. I appreciate that. Um, trustees, before we um, uh, just do a recap of kind of uh, uh, the things that we've done up till now uh, in terms of uh, the, uh, the negotiations, uh, let me pause and see if you have any clarifying questions for either the business unit leads. Uh, I think mainly for Richard, but it actually applies to others. And, you know, I, I'd like to get a better picture of what happens when uh, we lower census and we discharge uh, people potentially early. What happens to patients? I mean, if you could give me a description of where, what are the options those patients have? Where, where do they end up? Do they go back home? You know, what happens? So uh, for clarity, that's for our acute rehab unit. And so the length of stay on that unit is about 14 days. And so the 12 discharges we have now and next Wednesday are already um, planned. And so these patients, we plan in advance, right? We want to make sure that we're care managing, we're getting home health, we're getting DMEs, things of that nature. So those 12 are already um, booked to be going home. And so they, they're not leaving early. What we're not doing is admitting into the unit currently where we would normally. I'm, I'm sorry, Rich, for interrupting you, but I guess I'm trying to really get at what happens to individuals, individual patients. So I'm thinking for the clarification. So those individuals who will not have a, will not have the services available to them at acute rehab, what, what are their other alternatives? So uh, there are a few acute rehabs in our area, and and they're uh, equivalent size to what we have. So they will, you know, they will lose access to this unit, uh, and they will potentially have to stay in hospitals longer while they try to place in other acute rehab units. Um, and with the other acute rehab units being of equivalent size they don't have extra capacity for that, right? So yeah. patients, unfortunately, lose the opportunities to get rehab right when they need it and maybe sitting in the acute hospitals waiting until they can get that placement. Thank you. Okay. I, have, I have a question about the uh, John George emergency room. And would we be uh, diverting, holding back, accepting admissions from transfer hospitals and so forth? Or yeah, uh, great question. You know, I think that would end up being the plan. And what, what would happen with that is that uh, the 5150, uh, they don't always present to John George directly. They typically go through an, an ED at another hospital. Uh, those hospitals would then um, carry the burden of holding the patient uh, until, you know, we could, they, they could place them or transfer them elsewhere. John George is um, pretty unique, and it's the only one that accepts such large numbers of 5150. So the burden would fall to the EDs, um, you know, whether it's Kaiser, Sutter, uh, or even our own EDs, to hold those patients, which, you know, to hold uh, 5150 patients in an emergency department scenario, 
uh, for up to five days is less than ideal, but that that would be. Um, they might invoke telehealth or telepsych where uh, other facilities could do a, a psychiatric evaluation and then possibly discharge those patients um, you know, after they're medicated or, or treated. Um, but the number uh, that would have to be held for admission would have to be held in the EDs or, or placed elsewhere out of the county. I, I'd like to know like what some of the other um, you know, upstream plans are, like you said, Richard, because you can't have admissions and we can't hold people in the med surge in our own facility because those are also impacted. So the trauma patients and others are being redirected to other hospitals to go there so that they might stay in those. Uh, so wh who, which are the other, the, how, how are those um, inter-hospital work happening so that you know patient the safety and uh, you know timely care is being maintained that's one and the um, second thing is that because a lot of the and this is about mental health uh, behavioral health specifically be, we might be stopping the elective uh, work in some of these hospitals but many of them present at the ed so how are we working with ems to redirect them to surrounding hospitals that are not, you know, uh, where they might be able to get timely care. So Dr. Tornabene and I have a call this afternoon with Lori McFadden, who is over the area EMS, to really talk about what does that diversion look like? Um, how do we have a plan in place to say who goes where? Um, so that that piece will be fleshed out by the end of the day of, of how do we divert? Um, and then, you know, I think Delvecchio can comment on this as well, but there have been a number of hospitals in the area that have reached out and generously offered support. So they will take some of our, um, for example, if we had to close down a, a facility, they would take any patients that we weren't able to simply discharge to a different level of care, home or or home health or, or whatever. Um, so I'll, I'll let him speak to that, but we will flesh out the EMS part of it um, at the end of the day. And I think, uh, you know, if we get the travelers that we want at Highland and that the energies will be focused around keeping the trauma program, um, that is something that that is a, is a huge priority for us. We are the only level one trauma center in the area. That's something that serves this population. Um, so that's a, that's a huge focus is to keep that service intact for us. So, Dovecchio, do you want to add about the hospitals that have? No, actually, I think I think you do a great job. You, yeah, I don't, I don't need to add much to that. Uh, thank you, Janet. I, Trustee Benerjee, did I answer your questions? This is yes, yes. Okay. So, uh, my question is a similar question. It's regard to um, the first slide and and having travelers as well as having support from other other um, acute care facilities in the region. It, it seems like the um, and the COVID negative staffing requirement is um, is really unusual and unique and really puts a, a larger burden on us at this time. And I'm wondering if there's any other models for this, if any that you're aware of. And it just seems to be I, this is always not a good thing, and I it's really concerning. I'm concerned for um, for our for our our patients, of course, and. And um, it just seems like this seems to be a bigger impact, obviously, than if we weren't in a pandemic. So can you just talk to that for a moment about both the acute and the um, John George sites as well as the post-acute? I think we've heard more about post-acute, but that's a concern. 
Yeah, so a little bright spot this morning, just in terms of our total COVID numbers for positive throughout the system are down to 10. So we only have 10 positive. Uh, uh, Alameda has not had any positives um, for upwards of six or seven days. And so they have some PUI. So we are definitely seeing uh, a flattening of the curve, which is which is significant for us at this time. The other piece that uh, we discussed um, pretty, pretty in depth yesterday with the travel companies uh, is their... Uh, concern for uh, COVID and testing and PPE and safety for their uh, travel members as well. So that is front and center at, on everybody's mind. Um, that it's they are they are very savvy at traveling to different parts of the country. A lot of these people have probably worked uh, the the you know the the pandemic in New York and where it was very heightened. So um, that is not uh, being taken lightly. We are you know looking at how to keep everybody safe on the inside and on the outside. So um, Trustee Jensen, I, I just can't um, stress how, how, how much that is a concern for the travel company and they do a lot to mitigate that. And then we will maintain business as usual, you know, daily temperature checks, people checking in with, um, you know, to, to check symptoms, uh, you know, kind of symptoms would be sent home. Uh, we'll, we'll work through all of that in the same way that we do every day with our regular staff. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, I, I had a uh, kind of related question. You know, I know because of COVID-19, we've, we've had a number of staff on leave. And I'm wondering if we have a, already have a number of travelers still in-house. We do. So that is another quote-unquote bright spot, I guess, if there is any in this. Um, we can offset uh, some of our travel needs by the number that we have in-house. So um, we have about 150 travelers. Uh, and I can, I'm only speaking for the nursing area for the acute care, uh, that uh, they will um, get a little bit of an incentive as would the strike travelers. So they, um, they have all agreed to come to work and to, to, to work with us for, uh, we're asking to do four 12s a week. So that's 48 hours a week for them. That's not unusual for travelers. Um, so they, they have all committed to coming. So that's a, that's a pretty significant uh, bonus for us. So if I could just add for the post-acute, we're not quite in that same situation where we do have staff that are out on leave. However, we've been utilizing our SANS employees to backfill for those who are out. And so what that means is a staff that we would normally go to when, when um, we have outages, our on-call staff, our SANS staff are already being, being utilized. And so we don't have travelers like the acute setting has at the moment. So this will impact us differently in that we don't have a uh, registry or travelers that can that would remain in our buildings how about, how about for the uh, behavioral health i was just going to add that so unfortunately they do not have a they they have maybe a handful of travelers uh that they just use routinely but they, they have not seen the leaves in the way that we have that they've had to replace so um they don't have a high level of travelers in practice how do we maintain the quality of services at uh or PES or John George. I mean, it, it, it's the only facility that's type in the county. Uh, it, it's very, you know, it's a very specific set of skills and relationship with the patients there and the process. How the heck do we cover? Um, <laughs> how do we how do we continue to guarantee a high level of quality uh, given given that we'll lose that those team members? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, so we are working, uh, Tony was able to find a travel company that did actually um, have behavioral health nurses as part of uh, the group that they're able to replenish. So we'll know in the next uh, few days what we will get. 
Um, I will say it's, it was interesting and a little bit shocking that uh, Paula uh, Austin Gandahari, who is the DON at John George, she is the only unrepresented nurse in that entire facility. So um, they are expecting their managers and assistant managers to come to work. Um, but everyone else, including the managers and assistant managers, are represented by uh, some sort of union. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a dire situation for sure, but I'm confident that we'll hear over the next couple of days what they're able to secure in terms of travelers. And then, um, you know, again, we would have to put a lot of focus into stringently orienting them in a very short period of time and then buddying them with a manager and assistant manager to make sure we've got coverage around the clock. So not ideal. I, I understand completely where you're going. And this question Tracy, is, I, oh, go ahead, Tracy. Sorry, I have a, I have a general question about, um, does that, does that, is this, how is this going to impact um, not only the non-represented staff with, with reducing services, reducing elective, um, elective activities and programs, um, how's it going to, how's it going to impact staff that is represented, but not um, participating, not, not um, doing the, the, the strike? So it's sort of a two-part question, uh, Trustee Jensen. Let me let me address one, and then the second, uh, uh, ask your indulgence uh, for a later discussion. Um, the first is if, uh, as you know, uh, we have gotten notification from uh, two other unions who have indicated that they intend to sympathy strike uh, in support of the union striking. Um, uh, so we'd expect that 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 those uh, um, uh, employees who are represented by those unions would would participate in the strike activities. We have a number of other uh, unions uh, who have not indicated, uh, uh, at least at this point, and uh, if they were going to give us uh, 10 days notice, we would expect to have known by now if it was going to overlap, uh, if they were going to participate as well. So um, our, our sense is that we know for certain, or we know with greater certainty, that those unions who have not indicated uh, intention to simply strike will, will uh, continue to work or, or, or not participate in the uh, uh, activity. Uh, the latter part, which I think is sort of the second part of your question, if uh, employees are represented <laughs> by a union uh, uh, that has uh, indicated uh, an intention to strike uh, and uh, that the individual employee may uh, not be intended to strike is a um, is still a uh, um, question mark at this point, uh, subject to further discussion, uh, for, uh, which I'll I'll. Uh, take some guidance a bit later. Elvecchio, that actually, I wasn't really concerned about union members not participating for those okay. unions that have <clears throat> that have um, that have told us that they are going to strike. My 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 question was more about um, what Janet kind of brought up about managers and about um, other staff uh, that are in in bargaining units that are have not um, already advised us that they are going to do sympathy walkout so thank you so did that first part answer your question yeah, yeah absolutely okay. but i just wanted to understand better if there's going to be an impact of, if other staff is going to be not locked well hopefully not locked out but uh, but whether there'll be other staff that won't be able to get the normal hours that they have because of the because that, the services will be disrupted. That is that is not our, uh, our hope or in, or intention. We we are hoping that and one we need all hands on deck, and so it's our intention that where we can use staff uh, uh, and where services are, are are being provided, that we can we can uh, uh, deploy them to support us or continue to support the community in that way. Thank you. Sure. 
I want to add, I'm sorry, just really quickly, uh, we didn't mention that um, uh, Janet sort of alluded to uh, discontinuing some elective uh, uh, surg surgeries and interventional procedures. Uh, one, that's partly driven by the, uh, the staffing challenge. The other, uh, that's sort of a derivative of that is uh, we will be cutting back on our, or we won't have the ability to maintain our uh, testing sites, uh, which is a precursor for a lot of those procedures. So I uh, just want to make sure that we point out to you that we have two you know testing sites right now we're in the process of standing up a third one for uh, expanded community testing that one's going to be delayed and the other two would likely be closed for this period of time yo vicky does that will that impact employee testing as well for those employees who are either because um, uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't pr prevent um what even staff that have that are striking from getting tested but it no. Yeah, we're, so our intention is not to prevent uh, anyone from it. It's just the uh, ability for us right. to support it. Yeah, so so I don't know the full answer to uh, whether, uh, you know, we will have uh, as as robust a staffing force to conduct staff testing. Um, I suspect that will be impacted as well, but I, um, I also suspect that's something we will be trying to maintain. We just won't be able to offer it for elective procedures for patients or for community-based testing. So I had a couple of questions that I think are also surrounding the, the situation of us being in a pandemic, um, but as it relates to patient transfers. So I think at a time where we're saying we don't want to see a lot of movement of people, particularly from a sniff to sniff and things of that nature. And I know we were talking about mostly um, the acute beds, but I'm, I'm just curious in terms of, you know, what our thought is around the impact to our ED of if there will be crowding um, and also with our, our protocols around the movement of patients themselves from one facility to another um, as it relates to COVID. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is Gassan. I don't know if Janet wants to answer more. Uh, we are going to do uh, the transfers via our transfer center uh, and most of the patients uh, probably they will be tested uh, as as necessary or at least observed for any or screened for any uh, possibility of uh, of uh, of uh, covid uh, we don't we, i don't think we have uh, protocols beside this uh, the skilled nursing facility in terms of pre-testing as it relates to the question on the overcrowding of the ed uh, within the county there is going to be a risk of overcrowding in the ed especially that the 5150 cannot come to uh, John George and they will be held in the in the ED that's uh, that's also beyond AHS EDs so that you know we are expecting to have uh, overcrowding now with respect to the to the transfers uh, depending on the receiving uh, hospital we are going to work with them and and uh, ensure that we have uh, a safe transferring process and we will adhere uh, to their to their protocols. And that's the only thing I was going to add. I think you know, and I'm going to just use this as an example. But if Sutter or Kaiser were to accept our patients that we weren't able to safely discharge to you know home or or an, a SNF, um, they would really dictate that we want these patients to be you know rapid tested or tested to 
or they transfer or whatever. Um, so we'll need to get that figured out fairly quickly. Uh, and then a lot of the SNF patients uh, for placement outside of our system, some are requiring two tests. And so those are already proactively being managed. And then some are requiring that they're tested three days before transfer. So those things are already in the works and we need our care management team uh, who are actively working on who potentially may be discharged next week um, and making sure that they're getting tests if that's what requi is required. So I would just add, I know that our acute hospitals are working very closely with our SNF partners uh, for placement. And so there wouldn't be a whole lot of between SNFs um, as we're utilizing our partners for the acute setting to try to place into those SNFs. Um, we could do a green zone to a green zone, but it would be very minimal of what we could do within. Yeah, that's Hey folks, um, sorry to interrupt. This is Paolo Barbaria. Um, I'm in clinics this morning and my computer and clinic in the exam room has no webcam, so I apologize. I know Gassan presented the ambulatory slide, but I just wanted to see if there were any questions before I hop off to go see a few patients. I think he did a good job. Great. Well, I have the easiest part of the operation. So thank you all so much. And I'm definitely available throughout the day um, if there are any follow up items. Thank, thank you, Paula. Uh, does that give any question uh, for any of the team uh, involved to answer? Um, my question is could you describe a little bit of what the morale is for the rest of the staff that are not part of the bargaining units right now? I'm just curious what's been. Um, commented on or suggested or said to those who will be remaining. Thank you. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll let each of them uh, chime in and I'll add anything, but uh, Janet or Richard, uh, do you want to speak? Sure. So uh, strangely, um, uh, I, I would say our staff, our leadership morale is, is very upbeat. And so this is something that they are looking at as not ideal. Obviously, it's a very challenging situation, but it is not a a doom and gloom from our part at all. You know, John, uh, San Leandro and Alameda went through a one day last year. I think there were a tremendous number of learnings, but also a tremendous amount of growth where they they got through that and really felt empowered. Uh, there is not a feeling of animosity of why are they going out? We need to win this. There, There is none of that. This is just something that they are looking at as we can do this. We need to get through this. Um, let's all rally together and see how we can support each other. So um, at this point, I mean, it's Thursday. I don't know what Monday will look like, but um, it is a it is a very strong, cohesive uh, team that is is just looking to to get through this and keep our patients safe and then maintain relationships because those uh, members that go out will come back and we need to make sure that that we welcome them back and that we have that relationship when they come back. So I'm, I'm very proud of my team at this point. They, they are they are ready to take this on. And, you know, a number of people, myself included, have been through a lot of uh, work stoppages at Kaiser and at other facilities. And so uh, this is not new to them. And they're 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 very much uh, engaged to, to go through this. Richard, do you want to you want to add anything? Yeah, I would just say um, similarly that the teams um, have always been pretty nimble in the post-acute and and rise to the level of um, any challenge. And so, I will say that there is concern about staffing issues in the post-acute uh, specifically, um, but the morale seems good. The teams are are really pulling all stops, um, looking at 
how managers will step in to, to fill roles if necessary. But um, uh, I would say throughout the buildings, the morale seems pretty calm. Um, just um, people really uh, working collaboratively to make sure that we are keeping everyone safe, that we're supporting each other as best as possible. So I would say that's, that's the sense that I'm getting at the moment. Yeah, I would, uh, uh, Trustee Hernandez, I would only add, you know, a, a, a big part of our message so far uh, as, as late as yesterday has been, um, you know, this is uh, just underscoring what Janet said. We're all a team. Uh, this is not a us versus them. This is not, you know, this is not personal and no one is to take it personal. Let's be always sensitive to being collegial, but let's be extra sensitive during this time. You know, people are doing things for a uh, host of uh, different motivations and far be it from us to, to judge about that. We just need to uh, uh, work through it and continue to work through it. And, and for now, it's just been uh, let's let's enhance communication. People ask as many questions as you have, and let's try to uh, get uh, answers as quickly as possible. There's a lot of details that we're working through. And when something is of this magnitude, uh, um, you know, things can haste can happen and mistakes can be made. And we're just trying to tell people to, you know, slow down, um, be patient with themselves, be patient with each other. And, uh, you know, we will, we will, we'll put the patients first and we'll, we'll figure out how to, how to get through it. So, you know, I very much appreciate the uh, professionalism, the can-do uh, attitude in, in, in really difficult times. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I have incredible confidence in this team. You all are really, um, obviously, uh, you have your eye on the ball. But, uh, you know, the way life works is that uh, you stretch yourself really thin and then something happens additional to uh, what, what uh, you thought was going to happen. We have a major earthquake or uh, the pandemic uh, goes into overdrive uh, and we have another spike, another surge. Um, I mean, and, and there are things, we, you know, there are fires, right? In, in the Oakland Hills, we had that once in this community. I mean, it, I'm not trying to be gloom and doom. It's just the way life works, that you think you got on top of a crisis. I mean, if anything 2020 has taught us, that you know that it's not just going to be one thing that's going to come at us. So I'm, I'm concerned about patient safety and well-being in an environment where we are so stretched thin that the next crisis uh, will not be covered. And, and I'd like you all to comment on that uh, what, you know what happens when I, I you know i hear the confidence i you know and i really appreciate it because it makes me feel much more uh you know, it, it, it answers the question can we can we actually do our jobs uh, in the middle of a, of a strike but it doesn't answer the bigger question of what happens if, if more happens to us. Yeah, and if I could just add a little onto that, because that's exactly where I was going to go, Lewis, is that, um, you know, I definitely appreciate um, the, the, the can-do attitude, and it is reassuring. But, um, you know, I got to say I'm very, very concerned about particularly our psych ED, our, our, our behavioral health, and trauma. I mean, we are at a time now where we're starting to see – a real spike in violence, shootings, homicides. I mean, just, you know, um, and we bear the burden of that um, at AHS. And um, certainly, um, you know, we, we're seeing at this time nationwide that there's an increase in suicidality. 
mental health crises, et cetera. And so um, given uh, that we're the only, uh, you know, we're the only of several of those things I just mentioned in terms of trauma, in terms of psych, you know, I, I, I share the concern that we'll be, we're already, we're going to now put an extra burden on all of those things uh, in this current climate. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, there's not a lot of room for a spike, <laughs> Trustee Shaquin, or anything else to happen. Um, not to mention flu season and everything, everything else that we know that's upon us. So, um, yeah. So I just wanted to add that uh, to the doom and gloom. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's it's it's. Uh, I appreciate both of you saying it. It's not. I mean, it is doom and gloom, but it's also a a realistic uh, risk that we that we uh, face and that we're contending with here. Um, let me say that you know that is one of the reasons, and and Janet just sort of alluded to it, um, uh, that we are we are thinking about this from a perspective of how how far can we pare back. Well, one, we're trying to take a safety first perspective, and we don't want to do anything or put ourselves out um, uh, in any sort of elective way to try to basically keep everything going. I mean, that, we are absolutely confident here that uh, no matter what we do, and there's still a question mark on uh, how much of the uh, uh, traveler staff we can get, that we can keep everything going. We That's why we've been talking about decanting and uh, discharging patients. And, uh, you know, even though we've talked about, you know, uh, possibly streamlining acute down to one site, we don't have that luxury with post-acute, unfortunately. Uh, And so we really are are going to have to do everything we can to maintain that corpus. And that's going to be a challenge. I think Richard has underscored that. On the acute side, we have a bit more flexibility in terms of what we can narrow down to. And again, Thankfully, we've had a lot of our uh, community partners saying, you know, what do you need? How can we help? Uh, but it, it is going to be a tense situation, I believe. And it even may come down to, in terms of us being able to really prioritize those things that only we can do, we may, you know, it may not be Highland at full capacity. It may be Highland with a condensed med surge capacity. Uh, and we are focusing on ED, ICU, OR, and just making sure we're ready for things as they as they uh, may present themselves, and then still keeping that line open with everyone else. But we are we are we're probably going to be in a situation where. If we can get extra hands on deck, we might not use them all or deploy them all right away because we need to be able to flex in some way. So uh, it, it's still no no fail safe. It's no guarantee. I I would not try to convince you that we have a guarantee in this situation. We do not. Uh, we're going to do the best we can. And I I do you know I, I echo what the team said. That my sense of the the spirit. You know, we we're talking to a couple hundred people yesterday afternoon. Is you know. Jesus sucks. Um, you know, I, 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 I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, I know, you know, we're at the point where we can't, you know, hold up. We have to plan now. We have to really uh, get ready. Uh, uh, and we're, we're, we're here to do that. So tell us what you need. Tell us how we can help. And everybody's uh, rolled up their sleeves. But uh, yeah, no, it is your, your, your gloom, uh, doom and gloom is, is pointed and it's taken. Yeah, I'm, I'm really concerned about, you know, the community, not the, uh, not only the folks who are on the hospital or in a very acute state, but those who might have been delaying and wanting to come at this time, and they've been waiting and doing that. So uh, with in coordination with some of our other healthcare, public health partners, are we um, uh, uh, planning on some messaging to the community for, you know, what they might see in terms of like, or what they might have to navigate as they think about their 
regular places that they come in, you know, their default modes. How, how is that? How are we messaging and supporting the community? Yeah, so uh, thank you, um, 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 Trustee Banerjee. That's a good question. So, so far, you know, the, the, the messaging um, um, was already out that uh, once we once these uh, uh, strikes were noticed and our messaging up till now has been thank you very much we very much appreciate it we've been talking about and I'll allude to one of the things in a second that speaks to what you're talking about uh, uh, but we've been saying to everyone um, we're not ready to uh, take you up on your offer yet we're really focused on trying to avoid this and so we'll keep you posted uh, uh, just stand by we sort of gave them a sense of what we looked like from a census perspective right now uh, just to kind of uh, uh, begin their uh, contemplation of what is possible, but not any active work to you know uh, move in that direction. Uh, some of the conversation, though, particularly amongst the physicians, uh, and and even in the case of say like our our, our trauma services, uh, were to the point of um, uh, contemplating if our providers needed to. Uh, uh, get emergency privileges at a place where then they could actually uh, participate in providing ongoing care to uh, uh, any, any of our more vulnerable patients where those places may have a physical capacity but may not have the clinical expertise or the bandwidth to support the patient care. So again, just conceptual discussions up to now, but we're going to probably move forward uh, more aggressively with those kind of considerations at this point. Thanks, so Sure. Well, to, to sort of work off of that question from another perspective, you know, I, I wonder, well, let me just ask it. The, you know, we, we're an institution that struggles with having adequate volume to uh, collect fees adequate to paying our costs. Um, and, you know, if we end up diverting patients to other institutions, um, do we run the risk of um, even worsening our volume situation? Absolutely. Find they have other choices and maybe those choices are more convenient or more attractive to them once they've experienced them? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I think that is, uh, that's always a, a risk in situations like this. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't say no. I'm, it's varying degrees, but uh, uh, yes, it is, it is a risk. I should have uh, said uh, we've also uh, uh, began uh, communications with our health plan partners too. Uh, uh, gave them a heads up early this week, and uh, and now that you know we're we're uh, um, moving more aggressively now, we're letting them know so that they can also be prepared if they have to um, uh, either alter or um, amend any arrangements with other providers in order to um, support the the managed care side of the care for 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 patients, which is. Uh, a bit more to your point, but uh, yeah, we're working on that as well. Okay, um, um, we're. I, I think uh, Richard and Janet will uh, will hang around if you still have questions. But I'm, I'm sensitive to your time, so I wanted to just offer Tony a, a few minutes to just recap uh, where we were with uh, uh, our last communications with the unions, just to sort of bring you up to speed on that part. Um, trying to advance my slide here apologies um so we'll do that and then uh, we'll 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 move from there so tony if you want to just quick quickly walk through um 
this recap yeah. that'd be helpful. Absolutely, I'll do this very briefly because uh, I know you're familiar with a lot of the, the conditions and situations of negotiations. So there are three big issues, bargaining update issues and dispute and efforts to avert the strike. So uh, we've been in negotiations since November 13th with CNA and Alameda and November 7th, uh, 2018 um, with San Leandro. We've had multiple sessions with both unions and I'll touch on that in a second. And we continue to be in active negotiations with SEIU 1021 across their three bargaining units that began in January of this year. Um, we entered mediation with CNA uh, we offered mediation earlier, ultimately they agreed and we met with them and thought we were making progress until we received the strike notice. Uh, there are a lot of issues in dispute, but I, I've identified a few here just to remind you of with CNA awarding of shifts. And so we've been trying to make the organization of both hospitals able to calendar and schedule shifts appropriately. There are issues around that. There are specific premium pay issues to San Leandro and the control and reduction of FDE, i.e. a nurse's ability to reduce their time uh, based on their desire as opposed to the organization's specific need, and then premium pay attached to that when they work above that FDE. Those are some of the key issues, but they are, there are more, but I, I wanted to keep it relatively short. Um, in SEIU, the focus has been updating language, that is legally compliant language around leaves to make sure we covered what was necessary standardizing the grievance processes. We've had a lot of issues, uh, for example, with someone filing agreements with a manager or a supervisor. Sometimes they'll send it to Del Vecchio or to myself. We've been trying to get that into a single mailbox so we can get it time and date stamped, meet our obligations uh, and the union's obligations to resolve issues. And so that that's something that was key to us. Uh, agree on maximum release time. Uh, there are a lot of shop stewards in an organization of this size. So we wanted to agree with the union and negotiate what was the right number and how much release time they would receive. Uh, and staffing above census at Almeida and San Leandro hospitals, for example, when the census goes down, we reduce staffing. That That is not something we have the ability to do in the core. Uh, it's very difficult to do so. And so at times we have more staff uh, than we have the need to. And so we can't manage as effectively as we do uh, or would like to be able to do in those other facilities. In terms of efforts to avert the strike, obviously we've been in negotiations uh, with both unions uh, for some significant time. We offered mediation uh, at the first attempt at CNA that was rejected. Ultimately, they accepted and we entered mediation and, and we're optimistic when we entered it and were until we received the strike notice. Uh, with SEIU, we offered mediation also, and that was rebuffed because they felt it was too early in the process. And so we did not enter mediation and are, are in active negotiations despite uh, the strike notice. Um, bargaining days have been difficult with SEIU 1021. Uh, for example, uh, through uh, the month of May, we had seven offers, offered dates for SEIU. Uh, they rejected all of them or were non-responsive. And so it began quite well. We had eight sessions with them through January and February, and it felt as though we were making progress. Thereafter, they started to reject dates that we were proposing or refused to respond to our emails. Uh, ultimately, we were able to get it reactivated, but it's been very difficult. Uh, for example, for every four sort of offers we make, they accept one date. Uh, and so that's been difficult to, to make real progress at the table and, and have uh, a dialogue around the issues at hand. Um, I know that Del Vecchio has reached out and there's been interactions uh, with NOHA, with the unions, and attempts to try and create space and time over the key issues so that we could push this out a little bit and, and let cooler heads prevail in an attempt to 
uh, move issues that would might frustrate the union's ability to get a settlement and, and our own issues. And we were willing to talk about that so that there was enough space and time for us to try and resolve this in a, in a meaningful dialogue. Um, we agreed to use a different negotiating team if that would help at the request of unions and others. Uh, and while we did that, it, that hasn't made uh, a difference in terms of this receipt, receipt sorry, of the strike notices. Um, and so, you know, while we felt we were being as flexible as we could and, and beyond what we might have thought we were able to do, uh, unfortunately, it has not prevailed in stopping the strike notice and they haven't withdrawn it. Thank you, Tony. Um, trustees, any questions? I, I can provide uh, a little bit more uh, recent uh, context uh, um, uh, a, a bit later, but any any quest additional questions uh, at this particular juncture? I, I, this is Tracy. I have a clarification to the um, point regarding the progress being made on um, the ongoing CNA negotiations, the efforts to avoid the strike. I just want to clarify that CNA didn't didn't um, have a strike declaration initially. That we were negotiating and we were making progress. CNA's labor action is a result of the SEIU strike declaration. Is that correct? You know, let me confirm that for you, uh, Trustee Jensen. I need to look at the notice. It's not in front of me right now, but I'll confirm that. SEIU issued the strike notice first. It was followed by CNA. So I want to confirm that they didn't independently declare a strike for an unfair labor practice as opposed to it being a sympathy strike. Thank you. That's really important, I think. Yeah, I understand the question. Let me just confirm it for you. Well, let me pick up the other questions and I'll confirm it for you. Okay. Others? I'm going to stop uh, sharing the screen at this uh, point so you can all see each other. Um, and sorry, forgive me here. So if there are no other questions at this point, um, um, Trustee Abelotta, I'd like to uh, ask if the uh, board would um, consider uh, entering closed session for further uh, um, discussion and, and uh, guidance. So we will need a two-thirds vote um, to move into closed session. Do I have a motion? I move. Second. Second. And we'll need to do the vote by roll call, Rana. Trustee Avalada. Aye. Trustee Batterji. Oh, I think, I'm sorry, she uh, has she stepped, stepped out. Away. Yeah, I apologize. Trustee Bouquet? Aye. Trustee Shequin? Aye. Trustee DeVries? Aye. Trustee Hernandez? Aye. Trustee Jensen? Aye. Trustee Peterson? Aye. We have the two-thirds. Thank you. Thank you. So the motion to move into closed session is approved. Uh, General Counsel? Yes, yeah, so the uh, board will uh, meet in closed session now uh, to consult with their labor negotiators under uh, Labor Code Section 549-6. We are back in open session. Um, the board took no formal action in closed session. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and make some closing remarks here. Um, our community is at risk. Uh, we are in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, we have environmental catastrophes happening in our region uh, and increasing violence on our streets. Um, and 
system is, is simultaneously in a crisis um, as it relates to the fiscal resources that are required for our operations. Um, so when you take all of that together, all of these factors have disrupted uh, personnel and fiscal resources that we would normally depend on at a time like this um, to address these kind of circumstances. Um, we have limited replacement options, as was discussed earlier, um, and even those options will only take away from the other resources that we need in order to protect our patients and our community. So all of our personnel and all of our resources are essential and critical as we try to navigate these challenges. Uh, we just don't have the luxury of shifting resources to meet the most pressing need because all of the needs are most pressing um, in these circumstances. Uh, our low income, unsheltered and vulnerable patients have no options to deal with disruptions in services. Um, these services are critical to their well-being and their survival. Um, and many of them are services that are only provided by this system. Our psychiatric hospital serves more than 95% of people designated 5150, and it requires specialized personnel that cannot be replaced in a moment's notice. We are the level one adult trauma center for the East Bay. The community relies on the availability of our specially trained and experienced staff. This is expertise that cannot be replaced. Our patients in skilled nursing and subacute facilities, um, those are the patients who are most at risk during this pandemic and they have limited options for competent care in our community that's already burdened by a lack of adequate providers that can meet the stringent requirements essential to preserving the safety of these vulnerable patients, particularly during a pandemic. About 60,000 residents rely on AHS for primary and specialty care services, and all of this will be reduced or impacted in the coming days. There's just no substitute for the array of unique services that we provide and no replacement for the specialized providers at Alameda Health System. We are the safety net. We're the last hope and the last resource for those who do not have a choice and those who do not have champions. We are those champions as the Board of Trustees. And again, the pandemic only faces our obligation to protect the health and safety of our patients. So with all of that being said, the Board of Trustees has authorized staff to pursue an injunction against the planned strikes by SCIU 1021 and CNA to protect the health and safety of the patients of AHS and the community that relies upon us as a safety net health system for Alameda County. That concludes our meeting, meeting adjourned.